This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General. What a week. What a night on Tuesday. Election results came in. Massive red wave. Hashtag red wave. And it is only the beginning. I said back when Sleepy Joe... Brainless Biden was fraudulently elected that it would be just a matter of time before the Democrats, the Socialists, the Marxists, the enemies of America just burn America down to the studs. And at the time, I was criticized because I said this may be the absolute best thing to happen. Because in order to rebuild something, you have to destroy it, tear it down, right to the ground, right to the studs. And here we are. I said it would take a year. I was wrong. It took six months for them to destroy everything. And here we are, less than, what, nine months after Biden took office. And what do you know? What do you know the American people made their opinion loud and clear at the polling places on Tuesday evening across the country, not just in Virginia, not just in New Jersey, across the country, saying enough is enough. We'll get to more of that in just a moment. Long-ash greetings and salutations. A long-ash snappy salute. Semper delectatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. As always, it is your global five-star general, alpha male-in-chief, front and center from Command Center Alpha Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Now, I believe that I'm going to, Sergeant Steve, I think I'm going to have you change the way you address me. Because did you hear about Meghan Markle earlier this week calling several senators on their private cell phones? I thought you were going to announce your pronouns or something. Uh, We know my pronouns. Uh, It is Alpha, General, Five Star. There's my pronouns. Now, Meghan Markle, who, as you know, was an actress not what I would consider an A-level actress. She was in the TV show Suits, wasn't a star, was, you know, certainly a co-starring role. But uh, she starts banging Prince, what was it, Prince Harry? Whatever Mm -hmm. the hell his name is. Yeah, Prince Harry. You can see I don't keep up on the royal bullshit like Mick the Brit. But she starts banging Prince Harry, and the next thing you know, she's given a royal title. And then, of course, she gets tired of all the commitments and all the press and the, the, the... associated nonsense that goes with being a royal and the dysfunction within the family and says, we're coming to America. And oh, by the way, my hand is out. I'm looking for all sorts of big seven-figure gigs. And the next thing you know, Netflix hires them, pays them millions in Spotify. She's on a special with Oprah Winfrey. Now, she was stripped, essentially, of their royal titles because they abdicated. They basically said, oh, we're leaving. That's it. Bye-bye. However, she ended up getting the private cell phone numbers of numerous female senators from Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, taxocrat, crumbling empire state of New York. Now, first of all, if somebody goes ahead and gives you, you have somebody's cell number, and somebody says, hey, can I get their cell number? My answer is always, well, let me, let me call my friend or let me call an associate, or whomever, and let me see what number they would like to have you call them on. Because I'm not going to give somebody's private cell number without permission, 
Or many times what I will say is, why don't you give me your number and I'll have them call you. Now, I would say in 75% of the cases, people say, yeah, sure, just give them my cell number. But there's a large number of cases where people say, don't give them my cell number, give them my office number. I'm the same way. Give them my office number. If it's somebody I don't know, have them call my office direct line. Do not have them call my cell phone number. I would do that for anybody. If somebody said to me, I want so-and-so's number, do you have it? I'd say, I have it, but I'm not giving it to you until I get permission first. So she gets these numbers from Kirsten Gillibrand. Bad etiquette on Gillibrand's part. Doesn't have permission to give these cell numbers. So amongst the senators she calls is Senator... Capito, Shelley Moore Capito, Republican from West, by God, Virginia, as our good buddy Jack Harris would say. She's driving. She gets a call from a blocked number. She assumed it was from uh, her fellow uh, uh, senator, West Virginia senator, Democrat Joe Manchin. She answers, says hello, and she hears on the other line, Senator Capito, this is Megan, the Duchess of Sussex. I would have said, who? And I'm, I will bet you that's exactly what she said. Who? And she wasn't the only one. She also called Senator um, Collins of Maine. And Senator Collins said, look, I, you know, Susan Collins, I, I, I'm happy to take the call. But she said, my responsibilities are to the citizens of Maine, not the Duchess of Sussex. Now, can you imagine, Sergeant Steve, can you imagine if somebody called you and said, hello, this, I mean, this would be like Mick the Brit calling me saying, hello, this is Mick, the Duke of, I don't know, the Duke, the Duke of London. Or this would be saying, hello, this is Dave, the Duke of Alphanus, or this is Dave, the King of Coronas. Who would do that? You'd say, this is Meghan Markle, not the like, Duchess of Sussex. If she called you and said, Hi, this is Megan, Duchess of Sussex. What would you say? Who? Who? Exactly. I mean, Although, who the hell is this? If she said, this is Megan Markle, I'd have said, who? Who, exactly. I'd say, what do you want, you socialist commie bastard? But the, 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 the gall. Talk about nouveau. Talk about being affected. Hello, this is Megan, the Duchess of Sussex. Sweetheart, you are the Duchess of Sussex, Okay. Like, I am the Pope of the Vatican. No chance. Zero chance. So it goes to show that sometimes when people get affected using their titles, it is absolute absurdity. And to call for, for Gillibrand to give out their cell phone numbers without permission, I would tell Gillibrand, I've changed my number. You will never get it. Don't ever talk to me. Don't ever call me. End of discussion. That, or you return the favor, and you just post her cell number on every website there is and say, hey, by the way, Kirsten Gillibrand wants to know what you think about this particular issue. Here's her number, call her. But she prefers calls between the hours of 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. That would really be a fair turnabout in my estimation. So I'm just debating. Do I now say, long-ash greetings, it is Dave, the King of Coronas, or Dave, the Duke of Alphanus. I will have to decide which royal title I will want to use. 
Now, before we continue, let me tell you that the Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Trenta, commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence. The Gurkha Trenta is everything you'd expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. And by Davidoff of Geneva, introducing the new Avo Caribe. Experience the journey of flavor created by a synchronized blend from the Caribbean, accentuated with a touch of cigar tobaccos from Central America. Head to the land where palms sway to the breeze of the sea with the new Avo Caribe. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Now, the election. Let me give you my two cents or my five cents or my five dollars worth on the election. First of all, let's go to Virginia. Glenn Youngkin absolutely decimates, hands it to Terry McAuliffe, the candidate who is always kissing the asses of the Clintons. His job, basically, he's basically the Clintons bitch. And we really, when you take a look at the Clintons world, you have the Clintons, and then you have all these hanger-oners, all these people around them that are their lackeys. And their job is just to kiss their asses at all time. And when you're talking about kissing Hillary Clinton's ass, that is not a job for one person. That's a job for thousands because that is a mammoth ass. I mean, when she travels down the street, they have to actually have several trucks on each side saying, caution, wide load. Huge. That's why she wears those pantsuits all the time with a blazer, tries to cover her gigundous ass. But I digress. But Terry McAuliffe came out and said, parents don't have the right. They don't have the right to interfere in what's being taught in schools. Talk about out of touch. Glenn Youngkin ran a great campaign. Nobody knew who this guy was back when he started running, I think the beginning of the year, maybe uh, the end of last year. Ran a good campaign. He attracted not only the MAGA America First voters, look at all the red states, he, he basically had huge, humongous numbers, but he also had many Democrats who crossed over that voted for Hillary Clinton, who voted for brainless uh, Biden, who voted for Barack Obama, they crossed over because they did not like the direction of what was happening with their kids in school. During the Wuhan virus lockdowns, when kids had to supposedly learn online, and there was very limited learning that took place, they saw what many of these teachers were spewing, the political slant of these teachers, the socialist leanings of these te- Marxist leanings of these teachers. They didn't like what they saw. They didn't like what they heard. So you're damn right parents have the absolute right to get involved with their kids. And this is the, the audacity that many of these Democrats have, that you will do as we say, and you will be happy about it. And I'm, that's not the only reason that I think there was a giant blowback, not only in Virginia, but across the country, a red wave. Because over the last few years, what have we heard from the Democrats, the socialists, the Marxists, the enemies of America, those that absolutely hate America? What did we hear from them? That if you support Trump or you're a Republican, you're a racist. If you support Trump, you believe in MAGA, America first, you're xenophobic. If you believe in 
America first. If you believe in Trump, if you believe that Americans have the right to decide how they want to live their lives, you're homophobic. And the other last issue that has been shoved up Americans' asses, and now there is a massive blowback, and it is the transgender bullshit that we have had to put up with now for the last year, year and a half, where every time you look around, we have to do more for transgenders. LGBTQ, I have no problem. I don't care who you want to bang. I don't care what you want to bang. You want to bang five gay goats? Be my guest. Have at it. If you want to bang a squirrel, be my guest. If, you wanna, if you're a guy and want to bang five guys, be my guest. I don't need to hear about it. I don't, I don't need you to jump up and down at a parade in a banana sling saying, we're all proud, we're, we're, we're all happy. Well, why is it wrong for heterosexuals like me when I say, hey, I'm proud to be a heterosexual? Oh, you're homophobic. No, I'm not. Do whatever you want. But I find it amazing that if you say that you believe that heterosexuals should be proud to be hetero. You should, listen, I'm a man. I should be proud to bang, have a harem that I want to bang. Oh, you're homosexual. You're, 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 you're anti, uh, you're, you're homophobic. You're anti-homosexual. Why? Because I'm proud to be heterosexual? It's okay for one to be proud and have parades and jump up and down in banana slings, but it's not okay for another group. And this transgender bullshit, as I've always said, there are two, there's three genders now, as we know, but really there are two genders, male and female. If you are a male, born a male, and you choose that you want to whack off your tallywhacker and you want to replace it with a JJ, fine, but don't expect me to pay for it. And you're still a male. Don't expect to compete in women's sports. Now, on the other hand, if you are born a female, and you say, well, I don't want a JJ. I now want a tallywhacker. I don't know how that works. I don't know how you attach it. I don't even want to know what they do. However, people are sick and tired of hearing this transgender bullshit shoved up their ass 24-7, 365. And I said all along, the Democrats are all about identity politics. They're, they're about calling everybody racist. And now I tell people, they say, oh, well, what, what's your political uh, leanings? I said, oh, well, I'm a racist, xenophobic, homophobic, and transgenderphobic. And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm a Republican, and I believe in America first and MAGA. And they laugh and say, ha, ha, ha. I said, no, well, wait a minute. Look, look according to every Democrat now, what's the first thing they do? Oh, you're racist. You're xenophobic, you're homophobic, and it's even turned off minority groups. It has turned off blacks. It has turned off Hispanics. It has turned off Asians. They have had enough. Hispanics voted overwhelmingly in the Virginia gubernatorial election for Yunkin. I think he got 55% of the Asian vote. Correction, uh, uh, um, Hispanic vote. Asian vote picked up a good amount, too. Blacks, record number, 15% went to Yunkin. Now you say, well, that's only 15%. Look at what it was 10, 15 years ago. 0%. I think Romney, everybody jumped up and down because Romney got 8%. Trump got, I think, 12 or 13. Yunkin got 15. And that's not going to stop. There are more blacks 
and Hispanics that have awoken and said, we're tired of this racist bullshit and this critical race theory nonsense where you're always dividing people on race. People are fed up. They've had it. And when I hear these politicians say, we need to celebrate our diversity. No, we don't. We need to celebrate our similarity. When I see somebody else, I don't care what their race is, what's the first thing I think? I think, oh, they're American. Okay, we're similar. Most of us believe in the Constitution. We believe in the Bill of Rights. We believe in freedom. That's our similarity. But the Democrats want, when they say diversity, they love saying dog whistles. Oh, you voted for so-and-so? That's a dog whistle. Critical race theory? That's a dog whistle for racism. When you tell someone, when we hear a politician say, we believe in diversity, celebrate our diversity, that is a dog whistle for we want to marginalize certain groups. If you're white today, you are considered an enemy, which is nonsense. For some reason, the Democrats, the taxocrats, the socialists, they think we're back uh, in the 1800s where slavery is legal. Apparently, they didn't read, they didn't get the memo that, that Abraham Lincoln uh, uh, declared the Emancipation Proxima, uh, Proclamation. They didn't get that memo. Apparently, they didn't get the memo that there hasn't been segregation in this country since the 60s. Apparently, they didn't get the memo that black kids, white kids can go to whatever school they want. Apparently, they didn't get that memo. And it is a clear rebuke of the Democrats, where now you've got the independents. In any election, I always say, you got the Democrats that'll vote Democrat, the Republicans vote Democrat, the majorities do. It's the independents. The independents went overwhelmingly for Republican. Not only did Republicans show up, but they showed up in overwhelming numbers. And Yunkin and many of these other Republican candidates picked off a percentage of Democrats who said, what is going on today is now enough. When you see Democrats saying, this ain't my party. I don't believe in socialism. I don't believe in Marxism. This is not what I believe in. These people have gone overboard. What happens? You have a backlash, and it gets pent up. And over the last, it's been happening for a few years, but I'm telling you, after people saw the fraudulent election last year, by the way, a majority of Americans now believe that there was fraud that took place in the election last year. I've got an example in New Jersey I'll get to in just a moment. There's no question about it. Fraud took place. You know it, I know it, the Democrats know it. Fraud took place. But what has taken place since Biden came in now, saying, oh, I'm going to be a moderate, but he's gone ultra-left. He's gone to the Socialist Party, the Democrat Party. Now when that happens, people say, enough's enough. And then when they're constantly being bombarded with this racist, xenophobic, homophobic, transgender, LGBTQ bullshit 24-7, they say enough. And they see what's going on in schools. And they see the massive inflation. And they see the bullshit taking place on the southern border with millions of illegal aliens swamping into our country. And oh, by the way, now the Department of Justice is negotiating a settlement for those families that were separated at the border who came in illegally, broke the first thing they did coming into the United States, they broke the law. But now they're negotiating $450,000 per person settlements 
up to a million dollars a family, even though brainless Biden denied it, said it's not going to happen. The White House uh, spokesperson yesterday came out and said, oh, well, if, if, if it results in saving the taxpayers money, the DOJ will negotiate a settlement. Go to court. Fight it. Please, the ACLU is, is representing these illegal alien deadbeats that come into our country and then have the audacity, the nerve to sue us because they didn't like their treatment. By comparison, they're going to get, if this settlement goes through, and the Biden administration, you know the Biden DOJ under Merrick Garland, total, total waste product, you know. They're going to write those $450,000 checks, a million dollars a family. How much does an American serviceman's family get if they are killed in action, killed while in the military? $400,000. $400,000. I want you to think about that. The Biden socialist regime and the Merrick Garland Department of Justice believe that the value of a life an illegal alien's life is worth more than an American patriot that died and gave his or her life for this country. That is perverse. That is sick. That is unacceptable. So the vote that took place Tuesday across this country was a retaliation against all the nonsense that's being spewed. They're tired of inflation. They're tired of illegals swamping at the border. They're tired of, of, of the defund the police movement, rampant crime in all these blue states and blue cities. They're tired of being labeled as racist, xenophobes, homophobic, and they're tired of the transgender bullshit being shoved up their rear nonstop. And so what did they do? They came out in droves. They came out in droves, and they voted for Glenn Youngkin. Now, there were some shenanigans that was tr that. that was attempted to take, uh, that basically one of the counties attempted to play with some votes like they did a year ago. However, the Virginia Project and the Republican Party of Virginia had 93% of all polling places in Virginia, they had a Republican observer. In every county election office where they were counting votes, they had observers, they had witnesses. They tried to play some games in Fairfax County late in the evening wasn't going to take place. Why? The observers saw what was going on. They weren't going to allow phantom of votes to be injected into the count. Took place a year ago. That's what they tried to do. Now let's go to New Jersey. First, the gubernatorial election, where Phil Murphy, just like Kim Jong Cuomo tried to, not tried, he did lock down New Jersey, went after businesses, went after people's livelihoods became an absolute dictator, locking down the whole state, destroying businesses, destroying livelihoods, destroying the economy. He didn't care. He thought it would be a shoo-in. No problem. Well, Phil Murphy is in a neck-and-neck -neck battle with New Jersey gubernatorial candidate, Republican Jack Chatterelli. Now, everybody thought Murphy's going to run away with it. It's a blue state. Going to run away with it. Not so fast, my friends. And the race is still, even though the AP and the New York Times and NBC call the race, there are still thousands and thousands of votes that are out. Right now, I believe there's only, I want to say that there's uh, somewhere along the lines of 40,000 or 41,000 votes separating 
the current incumbent governor, Phil Murphy, the taxocrat, to Jack Cettarelli, the Republican candidate. And there's thousands and thousands of votes that have yet to be counted, including votes in many red counties. But wait, there is more. There is some shenanigans taking place in one of the counties, in Essex County, which is a high, primarily is a, is a blue county, runs Democrat. However, when we see the, the numbers, remember, a Republican doesn't have to win all those blue counties. He has to overperform. And if he overperforms by 10, 15,000 votes or 20,000, whatever the case may be, that's enough to put him over the top. So after Americans watch coverage of the election all night, showing Chatterelli flipping blue counties to red, picking up more votes in red counties than previous elections, something very interesting took place. With almost 100% of red counties reporting their votes, election results from Democrat counties began to trickle in. Murphy began to take a negligible lead. But as the evening wore on, more blue counties reported their results. Magically, Murphy got just enough votes to be declared a winner. In Essex County, Democrat stronghold, 56 voting machines were shut down on election night and not counted. 56 machines shut down, not counted. A little suspicious? It's a lot suspicious. Wednesday, County Clerk Christopher Durkin, who oversees the election uh, as the county clerk, said voting machines in 56 districts were shut down without being counted first. He blamed the uh, shutdown of the 56 voting machines on a, quote, poll worker error. A reporter for News 12 in New Jersey interviewed County Clerk Durkin and said, well, where are they? When are they going to be counted? And he said that they're, they're a mix. They're in about five or six different locations, different cities, which are uh, the majority of those 56 districts. So, for example, some are in Newark, some are in East Orange, some are in Montclair. And he asked New Jersey residents not to jump to conclusions as to why the voting machines were shut down without being counted first. He said, those machines are at the polling place right now. Those machines have to be brought back to the warehouse. A judge will issue an order for us to open those machines, retrieve the results, and post those results. So the county clerk was said, okay, when is that going to happen? Are you going to do that tomorrow, today, the next day? He said, well, that... They have to compile a list of the results that are missing. They need to schedule a hearing in front of a judge. The judge then has to issue an order, and we're able to retrieve those results, and it may take a week to two weeks. Excuse me? You have 56 machines that were magically shut down. You close them. No votes are being counted. You don't think there's some shenanigans going on? Don't tell us not to jump to conclusions. You better believe we're jumping to conclusions because when 56 machines magically get shut down due to a supposed poll worker error, and remember, these 56 machines weren't in one location. So now you've got multiple poll worker errors. I am not buying it. 
Now, of course, the New York Times, the New York Slime, the NBC, AP, all, all came to the conclusion Murphy won the election. However, Chatterelli has come out saying, no, we're not uh, conceding. We want all votes counted. We still want to know how many votes are still remaining because there are thousands and thousands of votes. Plus, we have these machines. And you could be sure, if the final count is a 40,000 vote difference, they have to go to court to get a recount, to demand a recount county by county. You can be absolutely sure they will do so. But here is a problem that took place in New Jersey. The Republicans were caught flat-footed again. New Jersey, in Virginia, they were on top of things. But after a, a year after a fraudulent election, the Republican Party, both nationally and in many states, have not learned their lessons. They did not have poll workers in more than, I think, 6% of New Jersey poll location. They didn't have poll watchers. Don't even know if they had, and I don't think they had, observers at every county. They certainly didn't have 500 lawyers on standby like they did in Virginia, and they didn't have a hotline that every law, that uh, any person who witnessed some sort of election irregularity could contact the hotline, and they would immediately be assigned to attorneys who would immediately get on the case and find out what is going on and deal with the county election offices. They were organized in Virginia. New Jersey, they were nowhere to be found because they figured, well, it's probably going to go red. I'm sorry. Every election, and this better be a wake-up call for November 2022, Republicans in every state must have a poll observer at every poll location. If there are 17,000 poll locations in a state, they better have 17,000 poll observers. If there are 48 counties in a state or 148 counties in a state, they better have witnesses and observers at every counting office in the state. They better have lawyers ready to go. They better have a hotline, a toll-free hotline, ready to go. We see the election shenanigans that tried to take place that, that, that uh, was attempted in Fairfax County, largest county in Virginia. It was squashed in its tracks. Why? Because you had poll observers there saying, uh -uh, not so fast. We're watching everything. Trust me, they try it. All of a sudden, the count was stuck at 94%, 95. Then the next thing you know, it goes to like 96, then it goes back to 93. Very, very odd. Now, there is a candidate that won in New Jersey, a truck driver by trade. He ran for state senate in a district in which the current incumbent New Jersey Senate president was up for re-election. The gentleman's name, Republican candidate Edward Doerr. Edward Doerr, truck driver for Raymore and Flanagan Furniture. Take a listen. We're going to play the audio of his social media spot that he did, his TV commercial that he did that ran, I think, on Twitter and on, on uh, YouTube and, and uh, Facebook, social media platforms. It was shot by, he said, a friend of his, uh, let's see, a I think he said a nephew's friend who shot it with an iPhone and then edited it with subtitles. When I tell you it was a rudimentary commercial, I'm not kidding you. If I don't think he spent any if he paid the kid 10 bucks to, to 20 bucks or maybe 50 bucks to do to shoot it and edit it, that's probably reasonable. But the content of the ad was captivating. Take a listen. 
Hello, my name is Edward Thayer. I'm running for New Jersey State Senate. I've lived here all my life, raising my three kids. In 2020, my opponents sat by and watched as Governor Murphy forced nursing homes to take in COVID-19 patients, resulting in death of over 8,000 of our seniors. He remained silent as Governor Murphy, with his lockdown and mandates, forced the closing of over one-third of our small businesses, costing New Jersey families thousands of jobs. He has done nothing as seven out of every ten moves are leaving the state, placing a heavier burden on those of us who remain. The Senate President has spent 20 years in Trenton. Higher taxes, increasing debt, and a rising cost of living. We deserve better. New Jersey, it's time for a change. So together, let's end single party rule. Vote for me, Edward Dare for Senate. Now he starts the ad off getting out of his truck and he ends the ad getting on his Harley and driving away. It was a tremendous 60 second ad. The music was great. The video quality was okay, but again, the content of the ad was compelling, was captivating, and it resonated with New Jersey residents in that district. And I think what it said is they are sick and tired of these career politicians. And this Sweeney, the, the President of the Senate, who he beat, Stephen Sweeney, second most powerful politician in New Jersey behind the governor, and in four years, the odds-on favorite to run for governor was Sweeney. Not so fast, my friend. And what's interesting is Sweeney ran attack ads, I guess on social media and on TV and on social media. When people could comment, the comments were all in favor of Edward Durr. They hated Sweeney. I think the guy said he raised, I think, uh, what was it, a total of $10,000 for his entire primary and the general election campaign. He spent $153 to win the primary. Absolutely incredible. Now, of course, you've got the Democrats, the Socialists, the enemy of America, Libstream Media, going after him, saying, oh, he made some comments about Muslims. He's, he's uh, xenophobic. He's this. He's that. Screw the Libstream Media. You got a giant taste of humble pie. And that's just a sample because you're going to be eating massive, massive th millions of pounds of humble pie come November 2022. Americans were fed up with socialism. They're fed up with these ultra leftists. They're fed up with the Marxists. They're fed up with the enemies of America. They're fed up with inflation. They're fed up with high gas prices. They're fed up with illegals coming across the border in massive numbers. They're fed up with everything about the Democrats, the socialists, the enemies of America. They made their voices loud and clear. Hashtag red wave. You ain't seen nothing yet. The national, correction, international cigar litation and libation ceremony is coming your way next. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta. 
celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence, the Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98, created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today. You will enjoy the experience the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, we have to have a nice celebratory victory cigar after the red wave that took place because let's face it it was an absolute shellacking now the october officers club selection featured the alec bradley collection or does feature the alec bradley collection now we got them out just a little bit late just like everyone else we have got supply chain issues and the cigar companies are backed up one delay after the other so the October selection went out on Tuesday, November 2nd. Many of you should have them already. Probably those of you in the Southeast, the East, the Midwest, you already have them. West Coast, you're probably getting them or you received them yesterday or today, maybe Monday. We apologize for the tardiness. But unfortunately, everybody is getting stuck in the supply chain delay issues. But let's talk about the Alec Bradley Prensada. Now, the three cigars in the Alec Bradley collection in the Officers Club for October. The Alec Bradley Prensado, the Alec Bradley Magic Toast, and the Alec Bradley Project 40 Maduro. Today, I shall enjoy the Alec Bradley Prensado, one of my favorite cigars. Beautiful box press cigar, Honduran wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, Honduran Nicaraguan filler. It is rolled at the Reces Cubanas factory in Honduras. And it was the Prensado was first created to pay tribute to the Cuban traditions of cigar making, rolling the filler entubado style. Entubado is basically you roll the fillers in little tubes and then you put them together surrounded by the binder and the wrapper. They also used a triple cap at the head, box pressing the cigar to finish it, blended with proprietary estate-grown Corojo from the Trojes region of Honduras. It is indeed a marvelous cigar. Cannot go wrong. I would say that it's got some very interesting notes of espresso, Interesting, bold flavors. I mean, it just screams super. You look at this cigar, and it just absolutely screams super premium. I mean, any way you look at it, absolutely looks super premium. It feels super premium. Let me take a whiff here. The wrapper smells super premium. You just cannot go wrong. 
So a beautiful looking cigar. Now it comes in about uh, five, six different sizes, and I have selected the Corona Gorda. Five and a half inches in length with a 46 ring gauge. You're looking at about nine to $10 suggested retail price on the Alec Bradley Prinsado. Love the band. It's got a little teal, a little bit of, uh, of, of red. And when you look at it, almost a rosado color. It's very interesting because when you look at the design on the band, it is actually a design of a cigar press. It's very creative when you look at it, but just a buttery smooth cigar, deep rich nuances of uh, roasted flavors, a little bit of pepper notes, just a classic, classic cigar. Nice, lush finish, cannot go wrong. So the Alec Bradley Prensado, my celebratory cigar today, as we celebrate the red wave, the starting of the red wave. Cigar altering and highly sharpened leaf exposing device. Well, let's see. Do I want to use my piercer on this? I could do that. Do I want to use my double-edged stainless steel guillotine? I could do that. Uh, actually, I think I will do that. So, I've got in my hot little hand my self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Well, I've got my Cigar Dave Five Star created by the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories. Five jet flames, butane flames, has a nice translucent tank. I can see that I've got about, uh, probably about a third of the tank is filled. It's got a built-in piercer at the bottom. Adjustable flame, very, very nice lightation device. Will do a beautiful job. And the reason that you want to use butane instead of a gas-based or oil-based lighter. I get this question all the time. Hey, I've got a Zippo. Can I use it? You can, but you shouldn't. Because an oil-based lightation device will leave a residue, will leave a taste, a bad taste within the cigar. Butane, odorless, colorless. You will not have any residual aftertaste by lighting your cigar via butane. And that's what I will do today. Cigar, cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Beautiful cut on this Alec Bradley Prensado. Let me toast the foot of this beautiful, magnificent stick. And I'll tell you, the other two selections in the Officers Club selection, the Alec Bradley Magic Toast, another beauty. And the Alec Bradley Project 40 Maduro, one of my favorite cigars. Nice price, great flavor. Love the dark San Andrean Maduro wrapper that surrounds Brazilian Nicaraguan tobaccos. Project 40 Maduro, you will love all three cigars award winners. Let me puff and rotate after I've toasted. Mm-hmm. Mmm. Oh, yeah. Mmm. So I blow out, blow on the foot. Beautiful, perfect, even amber glow. Took my time. Never want to be a rush when you light your cigar. And by the way, I want to thank all of our alphas, our lieutenants that are providing comments about the their satisfaction that the Long Form Cigar Dave show is back on Saturdays. 
We've received many social media postings. I've gotten tons of emails saying, General, my Saturdays are complete. I can watch football. I got, I got food on the grill. I got my cigar. I've got my libation. Life is good again. So we appreciate that. and glad that we can uh, certainly bright up your Saturdays. And when you think about it, this show really, when I started the show, I said, when you th- what day is perfect for this show? And it's Saturday. I mean, the start of the weekend, Sunday to me, uh, you know, you're getting ready. You're already starting to think about Monday, but Saturday is like that free day. You can enjoy yourself. You, you don't have to worry about getting up the next morning to go to work. You can, you can fire up a cigar, have a libation. You know, you, you can throw a steak on the grill. So to me, Saturday when we started it 26 and a half years ago was just the perfect day. At noon, I said, hey, lunch with a cigar. What better time? And that's kind of how it came about. So I am pleased, and I thank all the comments that we've received from our very loyal alphas and lieutenants listening, not only in the United States, but now across the globe via our podcast. So we greatly appreciate that. And by the way, if you've not subscribed to the Cigar Dave Show podcast yet, smash that subscribe button, smash the five-star review, and also make sure that you go over and do a search in your podcast provider for our brother podcast, Bold Alpha. Two words, Bold Alpha. Subscribe to that. And that uh, will have our weekly spirit celebration. We have more politics. Anything that grabs me during the week, we will post on Bold Alpha. So now that I have my Alec Bradley mm, Prensado Corona Gorda fully lit, I need the proper accompaniment. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, I have already uh, poured a glass of cognac that was given to me by a friend. It was given a very small sample. It is called Baron Otard VSOP Cognac. Baron, B-A-R-O-N, Otard, O-T-A-R-D, V-S-O-P. Very special old pale. Now, before we talk about what is VSOP, let's talk about Baron Otard Cognac. Why was it given to me? Well, as you all know, the name of my faithful canine security detail, my canine companion, is Baron. Pendragon's Royal Baron, that's his official AKC name. And I had Sultan for many years. Pendragon's Royal Sultan had the great Sultan for 14 and a quarter years. Next month will be two years that I had to say goodbye to him, and I still think about him every single day. But Baron is a wonderful companion. So a friend of mine saw this and said, hey, I was traveling, and I saw this, so I bought it for you. And uh, it's Baron Otard. He goes, I have no idea if it's any good, but just it had the name Baron in it, I figured I'll buy it. So Baron Otard V. S.O.P. Cognac. It is from the Baron Otard House of Cognac. Established by Baron Jean Baptiste Otard in 1795. The cognac is matured in cellars located in the lower vault of their Chateau of Cognac. And this VSOP takes on an elegant, full bodied character. Notes of vanilla, tobacco, subtle oak. At least that's what they say. Runs about $55 a bottle. Very elegant looking bottle. 700 milliliters is going to run you about 58, 60 bucks, somewhere along those lines. Now, what is cognac? Well, first of all, it must come from the cognac region of France. That is by law. 
You cannot call cognac that is produced in the United States cognac. It's not cognac. It must be produced and the wine must be grown in the cognac region of France. Thus the name cognac. And they use various types of grapes. In fact, the white wine that is used in making cognac is a very dry, acidic, very thin grape. It's been characterized as virtually undrinkable, but it is excellent for distillation and aging. So it is fermented, just like all other distilled spirits, and once the distillation is complete, it must be aged in limousine oak casks for at least two years before it may be sold to the public. Now there are several grades of cognac. Now you can mix, they can blend various cognac. That is perfectly legal. But for example, the basic cognac is called VS, very special. Designates a blend in which the youngest brandy, which is what cognac is, the youngest brandy in the cognac has been aged for at least two years in a cask. VSOP, very superior old pale, designates a blend in which the youngest brandy is aged for at least four years in the cask. So there's four years of aging, a minimum, minimum in this Baron Otard VSOP. Then you go to Napoleon, where the youngest brandy is aged six years, then extra old, or XO, where it is at least 10 years, and then XXO, extra, extra old, which is 14 years, and there's a last designation called Ordage, which is beyond age, a designation which must be at least equal to XO, but it really is used to define high-quality products beyond the official age scale. And there are various regions that produce the, the grapes, the Grand Champagne region, the Petit Champagne, other terroirs within France. So let me go ahead now. I've already placed it in my glass. Let me say cheers. Let me take a sip. Ooh, very, very nice. Mmm, wow, a lot of warmth. Let me take another sip. Mmm, an incredible apricot aroma. Lots of warmth. I'm getting some vanilla. I'm getting some ginger. Take another sip here. I'm getting just a hint of lemon, almost citrus. Very pleasant. Very, very nice. For 58 bucks, this is beautiful. You put this in a snifter, along with a nice medium, mild to medium bodied cigar, even a Maduro, you're in perfect shape. And it goes perfectly. Pairs up beautifully with my Alec Bradley Prensado, this Baron Otard VSOP. Take another sip. As our good buddy Lee Corso would say, life is good. When we return, we'll talk climate change, shall we? The biggest fraud and hoax being perpetuated on the people of the world. We'll hear from two very special people. Greta Thunberg, little Greta, how dare you? And El Gore, or I say El Bor. When we return, as we enjoy the good life on the Cigar Dave Show podcast.
Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. Last week, you saw Sleepy Joe, brainless Biden, snoozing at the UN Conference on Climate Change that is officially called COP26, or the Conference of the Parties 26 in Glasgow, Scotland. And of course, they all gathered there talking about climate change and the world. We must do everything possible to make sure that global warming doesn't exceed more than 1.6 Celsius or some other contrived bullshit figure. And that if we don't do anything, the world will end and we all have to drive electric cars and we can't eat meat and we can't eat any sort of pork products or any other dead animals and we should change our lives. Yet, how did all the many of the attendees arrive in Glasgow for the UN Climate Change Conference, COP26? You would be correct if you said by private air transportation, P-A-T. Private jets. They all came in on their private jets. Hysterical. We all must reduce our carbon footprint. Yet they all flew in. They didn't take commercial. They could have taken commercial. They all flew in on their private jets. I think there were like 300 private jets that all, of course, all the, the politicians that were there, they, of course, took their government jets. And uh, you, you had Bill Gates that attended and all these other clowns. They all came in their private jets. Yet they're the ones wagging their fingers saying, you have to do your part to reduce the global carbon footprint. We have to take this seriously. They're so... How do you know it's a hoax? How do we know this is... That's a truculent statement I'm making. Climate change is a hoax. How do I know this? Very simple. Barack Hussein Obama, 44th President of the United States, would go on and on when he would be traveling to New York or Miami or any other coastal city saying, we have to do more about climate change. The seas are rising. We've got, to be, we've got to be very careful. We don't do anything. We're going to have rising seas. They're going to swamp the downtown. Miami Beach is going to be underwater. Long Island will be underwater. He's so concerned about rising sea levels due to climate change that a year and a half ago, he spent $13 million on a Martha's Vineyard waterfront estate 
at sea level. Now, if you're so concerned about rising sea levels, rising tides, wouldn't you probably buy inland and certainly not at sea level and not on the water? He had no problem. Why? Because he knows that climate change is one giant hoax. It is designed as a wealth transfer scheme. It's a Ponzi scheme. We're going to take money from one to the other. And what happens? You have all these people that are getting very wealthy. Look at Al Gore. Creates all these bullshit movies, sits on all these boards. we got to do climate change. 40, 30 years ago, he said, if we don't do anything within 10 years, the earth as we know it will be destroyed. Well, 10 years went by, and we're all still here. Then 20 years ago, he said, if we don't do anything right now and cut our carbon emissions in 10 years, the earth will not be here. The earth has got the flu. we got to do something. And 10 years go by, and he's still living in his 15,000-square-foot mansion. He's still traveling by private plane. And what do you know? I'm looking around. The earth is still here. And then 10 years. If we don't do anything in the next 10 years, the earth will be destroyed. The climate, the heat, the polar caps will melt. Everything as we know it will be underwater, will be dead. Well, here we are 10 years later. I'm looking around. I don't see any water. I mean, I, in the Cigar City of Tampa, where I'm located here, Command Center Alpha, we're pretty much at sea level, and I'm looking at, I, I don't see any rising tides right now. I, I don't see the, uh, the land buried. In fact, uh, it's raining right now, and it's a little bit on the cool side. Everything fine. But what do they keep saying? Now it's not 10 years. Now it's five years. And in five years, they'll say, oh, we got to do something. Yep, we were a little wrong. It's going to be three years. They go on and on, and they spout this nonsense over and over. And as we know, as the Nazi regime under the propaganda machine, Josef Goebbels said, if you tell a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. How many lies have we heard about Climate change, rising sea levels, the, the ice caps are melting, that if we don't do anything immediately, we won't be here in 10 years. But yet, they keep reiterating and repeating the lie over and over and over and over again. Never ends. And then you get a sympathetic little girl, Greta Thunberg, from, what is she, from Sweden, I think? Little Greta Thunberg, and she's cute as a kid. Now, here's what's going to happen. Now, when she's a little girl, she's an eight, 10-year-old girl, and she talks about climate change, all the libstream media fawn over her and politicians, and everyone says, she's so adorable. She's so cute. Look at that girl. Oh, she traveled over from Europe to the United States purposely in a special big sailboat so as not to use carbon emissions, yet... How did she get back to Europe from the U.S.? She flew. And then her group said, well, but we bought carbon offsets, which is another absolute fraud, another wealth transfer Ponzi scheme. So little Greta Thunberg, as President Trump was speaking at the U.N., he was walking out, there's little Greta with her eyes. And by the way, the, the girl's got problems out the yin-yang. She's got Asperger's. She's got all sorts of personality issues. She's got mental issues, yet her parents have no problem shoving her out there on the world stage, putting her up for everybody to display, and yet when people criticize her, oh, you can't criticize her. She's got this disease and that disease and that issue, and she's a little girl. But yet, you're putting her on the public stage. Well, here's what happens. Little Greta Thunberg 
is now going into adolescence. I think she's now 13, 14. Next thing you know, she ain't going to be so cute anymore. And then when she comes 16, 17, 18, and she's a young adult, and there's nothing cute or like, oh, I would have just pitched those little cheeks. She's, she's 18 so now. Oh, she's 18 now? Yeah. Okay. She's 18. Thank you. She looks, she looks younger than 18. She looks very immature. Yeah, she'll be 19 in January. She'll be 19. So when she started, she was like 12, 13. And of course, everybody, she's so cute. Oh, she's precious. What she's doing? Well, now she's 18. And she's, she's lost the cuteness. The cuteness factor, the CF, is going away. And in another year or two, it'll be gone. And now she's just becoming a joke of a character. Her 15 minutes are just about up. So outside of the UN Climate Change Conference, COP26, Greta Thunberg was leading a group of young adults, kids, young adults, Maybe there was, I don't know, 75 people outside, 100. And Greta Thunberg, Miss, how dare you? How dare you destroy our world? How dare you? How dare you take away my precious right to breathe clean air? When she was at the UN, I don't know how many years ago. Now, Miss Greta Thunberg was protesting what was taking place in the UN Climate Conference. Take a listen. Change is not going to come from inside there. That is not leadership. This is leadership. Yeah! This is what leadership looks like. We say no more blah, blah, blah. No more exploitation of people and nature and the planet. No more exploitation. No more blah, blah, blah. No more whatever the f they're doing inside there. We are sick and tired of it, and we are going to make the change, whether they like it or not. They have been keep on going for too long. We're not going to let them get away anymore. We are not. Because who are we? And what are we going to do? Climate justice, that man. What do we want? What a classic. And what are we going to do? Stone cold silence. Climate justice. Okay, climate justice. No more blah, blah, blah. What did she say again, Steve? We say no more blah, blah, blah. 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 Not how dare you. Now it's no more blah, blah, blah. No more blah, blah, blah. I don't want it. You're right. I don't want to hear any more blah, blah, blah from little Greta Thunberg. Blah, 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 blah. She's no longer has that cute factor. And by the way, how have you dare noticed? You? How dare you is right. <laughs> exactly. Have you noticed that when she was speaking extemporaneously, when she wasn't scripted and memorized all her lines, she didn't really give a great speech. All of her speeches when she was younger, all of her speeches were all memorized by rote. I mean, she was like a little robot. How dare you? Now, no more blah, blah, blah. No, and whatever the fuck they're doing in there. And what are we going to do about it? I don't know. Dead silence. Climate justice. Oh, okay. They are clueless. And I'll tell you who else is clueless. Good old Elbor. The world has got the flu. If we don't do anything right now, we're going to be in trouble. Well, on MSNBC's, or I should say BSDNC's Andrea Mitchell report. I'm Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell, NBC. Andrea, you know who, uh, Andrea, Sergeant Steve, do you know who Andrea Mitchell is married to? Uh, the former head of the Fed. 
Alan Greenspan. That's you it, are yes. correct. What a good-looking guy he is. Man, what an Adonis, okay? I mean, he, the guy, let me put it this way. The guy is, is so boring that even paint drying finds itself bored. The guy is just an absolute, listening to him when he would talk to Congress, we may have inflation, but there could be a possibility that we have the precipice of deflation. But we're really not sure. We have not figured that out. But there is also the possibility that we may have to interest in, increase interest rates. But on the other hand, maybe we won't. The guy said absolutely nothing when he testified. Nothing. And I'm just thinking Andrea Mitchell and Alan Greenspan. Ooh, that is scary. Just the thought of that alone. But on Andrea Mitchell reports, Al Gore, who was, of course, at the U.N. Climate Conference COP26, flew his private jet there, of course, or arrived by private jet. On Thursday, he was touting technology created by his Climate Trace Coalition to monitor greenhouse gas emissions. We use the, it's a coalition of artificial intelligence companies and uh, NGOs. We, we get data continuously from 300 existing satellites, more than 11,000 ground-based, air-based, sea-based sensors, multiple internet data streams, and using artificial intelligence, all that information is combined, visible light, infrared, all of the other information uh, that is brought in, and we can now accurately determine where the greenhouse gas emissions are coming from. And next year, we'll have it down to the level of every single power plant, refinery, every large ship, every plane, every waste dump, uh, and we'll have the identities of the people who are responsible for each of those greenhouse gas emission streams. And if investors or governments or uh, civil society activists want to hold them responsible, they will have the information upon which to base their action in holding them responsible. Great. We've now got the gas-emitting Gestapo that will be after you. The only emission that was being spewn was by El Gore. Interesting he talks about AI, artificial intelligence. When El Gore speaks... It's NI, no intelligence. So you're going to take all these satellites, sea-based sensors, ground-based sensors, air-based sensors, data streams, AI, and you're going to see where all the greenhouse gas emissions are coming from. I hope that they run a scan at Command Center Alpha or the Pleasure Palace, my Pleasure Palace, because when they see my camp chef pellet grill, emitting massive amounts of smoke and my grill with loads of steaks and dead animal products just charring and sizzling and smoke coming out of it, I hope they trace it. And I hope they come and say, excuse me, I hope Al Gore comes to my door and says, excuse me, I was just monitoring from our 300 existing satellites, a more than 11,000 ground-based, air-based, sea-based sensors, multiple internet data streams, and artificial intelligence that there is gas emissions... And greenhouse gases coming from your house. We believe it's due to two grills, and we must come right now, and we must shut them down. Go ahead, Al. Make my day. Try it. Not going to happen. This is the same clown that lives in has multiple large residences, but his main residence, I think, is 13,000 square feet in Tennessee, burns more energy than I think... 20 average households or 30 average households in a year. But then he's got the nerve to say, but I buy carbon offsets. 
Okay, he loves to say he drives a Prius, but yet he travels in a private jet. That private jet taxing to the runway burns more fuel in probably five minutes than 20 cars in a year. I have no problem with private air transportation. It's a great way to go. But I get a kick out of all these clowns like Al Gore and Barack Obama and Bill Gates saying you all must do your part to reduce to reduce global uh, greenhouse emissions, climate change. In fact, Bill Gates, who attended the conference, was so concerned, so concerned about emitting greenhouse gases that he's only traveling in two massive large yachts, the Mediterranean, as he looks for farms to purchase so they can have sustainable farming. So I got a kick out of it. I'm going to go, and I'm going to look for farms that I can buy, but I'm going to do so in two 150-foot yachts. One for all his... Employees, personnel, security, one for his family and friends. But these are the same guys looking at you saying, now, you need to reduce your global emissions. Uh, Sergeant Steve, I do a pretty good, all you have to do is like a Kermit the Fraud for Bill Gates. Don't you think? I think it's pretty, pretty accurate. That's about right. Yeah, and, and what I believe is everybody should have multiple vaccinations. In fact, I believe that people should get boosters 10 times a day, 365 days a year, and then... Uh, we must reduce our greenhouse gases and our carbon emissions. I was going to travel on using five yachts, but I've only cut it down to 250-foot yachts. And uh, I could go on a on commercial, but I still need I need my protection and my bodyguards. And of course, I got to bring all my hot dames that I'm trying to hit on now on my private jet. All these guys are so full of bull. They love to wag their finger at you like, you are so evil. You are so dangerous what you're doing. But yet, they're not going to change their lifestyle. But yet they've convinced all these idiots, the Greta Thunbergs, and all these other Dems and Libs and socialists, you see them in the country. They're brainwashed. Oh, i got to do my part. i got to compost. i got to recycle. i got 10 recycle bills. Bins, do you know that much of the recycling that the, the garbage that is recycled or, or a lot of the scrap gets sold to China. In fact, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida said, we're not going to sell it to Florida or to China anymore. We're going to use that as biofuel in our own power plants. Great idea. Great idea. I love these people that have 18 can Oh, I got one for bottles. I got one for paper. I got one for compost. I got one for this. You know, I got one. I got one. Well, I shouldn't say that. I have three garbage cans in my kitchen, but you put whatever the hell you want in them. And I don't have a recycle bin. I've requested one from the city three times, so screw it. I put it all in one. They recycle it. They separate it out anyway. No problem. But all these people that are anal, that re oh, don't put it that. No, that's a paper plate. That's got to go here. Oh, that's a glass bottle. It's got to go there. Oh, aluminum's got to go here. Please. They're brainwashed. Why? What do I say? People are, for the most part, dumb lemmings. They will follow whatever they are told. And they have been told now for the last 20 years that the Earth is going to have the flu. The climate change is real, even though historically we know that the Earth has been on uh, it in, I think it's what, five million years old? Who knows how many millions? Climactic records have only been kept for, I think, 140 years, 130 years. And we know that in the early 1900s, they had massive hurricanes, far more destructive than what we've seen today. 
Was it greenhouse gases then? They didn't have cars. They didn't have things in the early 1900s. It's all nonsense. All you need to do is look at the people that are spewing this nonsense. Have they changed their lifestyle? Are they traveling commercial instead of private? Are they living in smaller homes? The answer is no. But yet, many Americans, many people around the world have been brainwashed, brainwashed into thinking that the earth is going to be, it's going to be over in five years unless we do something. Yet, we never see any of these people that keep spewing that bull changing their lifestyle. If they're not changing their lifestyle, neither should you. I'm not changing it. I'm going to spew as much emissions as I want. I'm going to drive a gas-powered car. I'm never buying an EV. Hydrogen-powered, yes. That's a better technology, believe it or not. And it's a cleaner technology. But electric, you still have to recharge the batteries. How do you recharge batteries? By electrical power. Where does electrical power come from? A power plant. Primarily, either a natural gas-fired power plant or nuclear. Farm and windmills, good luck. Or solar and windmills, good luck. Not enough. Not going to happen. So it's a joke to think that they're going to reduce greenhouse gases by going to electrified vehicles. And by the way, those back batteries are beyond toxic. You cannot recycle them. They're extremely hazardous. And if they catch on fire, you can't use water to douse them. Fire departments won't touch them. They'll let them burn. Not all it's cracked up to be. Don't change your lifestyle. Climate change isn't happening. Normal process. Some years are going to be warmer and cooler than others. That's the earth. That's how it's been for millions and millions of years. And it ain't going to change. That's how it is. All right. When we come back, I'll tell you what. Uh, Sergeant Steve, I, we're going to save the Fauci story for next week because I'm running a little bit too long. But I will just say this, that Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, at a congressional hearing, a Senate committee hearing, grilled phony Fauci on gain-of-function research. He had the facts. He had the data. Fauci was squirming in his chair, trying to deny. But now we're finding out that they're used, they're, right now, as we know, the laboratory-made gain-of-function Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus has a 1% mortality rate. We know that. They are now taking viruses that occur naturally out in the animal kingdom in nature, and they are now trying to supercharge them to get them to 20, 30, 50% mortality. And this nonsense they're spewing is, well, we need to do this so that we can be prepared. Let me tell you something. We didn't have to do any gain of function because this Wuhan virus would have been uh, it stuck in a, in a cave in a bat that would never escaped in millions of years. Yet we go out, they, the Chinese bat hunters go out and they find these viruses, then they juice them up. They were not transmissible to humans and they are not dangerous to humans. However, when you manipulate by gain of function the spike protein, the cleavage of the protein, what happens? You manipulate the virus, genetically engineered. It is now a bioweapon. And Fauci continues to say that no gain of function took place, but that they should, because they changed the definition on the NIH website two weeks ago. So he's playing that little semantic game. 
And Fauci then says, but we need to still do research. It's not gain of function, but we call it something else. It is gain of function. And all I will say is Rand Paul has been going after Fauci and shame on all the other senators that have stood by and done nothing. Now a majority of Americans, 52%, in a poll that was taken last month, believe that Fauci should resign. A Hill-Harris poll. By comparison, in June, mid-June, 48, 42% believed he should resign. Now it's 52. Wait another month. When more of this nonsense comes out, it'll be 70%, if not more, believe Fauci should resign. Fauci is an enemy of America. He's an enemy of the world. He should be tried for crimes against humanity, sentenced, and executed. That's simple. He is in the same category as all the Nazis. He prevented known effective treatments, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, from being prescribed, railed against it. He downplayed the virus early on, said it's nothing more than a common cold. He hid the fact that it was a gain-of-function research project, bioweapon. He knew all this and did nothing. And I know people say, oh, that's harsh. I'm not saying execute him. I'm saying try him. And if he's found guilty, which he will be, then he should be executed. That's what they did to the Nazis. That's what they should do to phony Fauci. He's in the same category. He is the modern-day Dr. Joseph Mengele in the United States. Dr. Joseph Mengele phony Fauci. No difference. Now, when we return, we will hear from our Cigar Master series. I forgot to mention this when I started the show. I can't believe it. Part one of our two-part interview with Steve Abbott, the senior brand manager at General Cigar, who oversees the Macanudo and La Gloria Cubana portfolios. Macanudo, amongst the world's largest selling cigar, biggest selling cigar, and La Gloria Cubana, the original boutique cigar. They've taken the La Gloria Cubana in very unique directions, unique tastes, beautiful lineup of cigars he oversees between Macanudo, Macanudo and La Gloria Cubana. And we will hear from Steve Abbott, senior brand manager of General Cigar around the corner. As we begin the first of our two-part series this week and next week, Cigar Masters Series with Steve. Gurkha is known for creating the world's finest cigars. And to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Gurkha brand being launched in the United States, the blenders at Gurkha created the Gurkha Trenta. Celebrating and commemorating 30 years of cigar excellence, the Gurkha Trenta, everything you would expect from a Gurkha. Exquisite construction, exquisite flavor, exquisite pleasure. A nice medium, medium full-bodied cigar featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. A Nicaraguan Corojo 99 binder and the filler, Nicaraguan Corojo 99, Nicaraguan Criollo 98, created by the great blenders and growers at Aganorsa Farms in Nicaragua. And what you get is a signature cigar that has unique flavors, perfect spice, perfect amount of complexity on the palate, a cigar worthy of Gurkha's 30 years being available in the United States. Try the Gurkha Trenta today. You will enjoy the experience and the overall characteristic that goes into blending this magnificent cigar, a beautiful Nicaraguan puro worthy of being called Gurkha Trenta. Be sure to subscribe to our brother podcast, Bold Alpha, where we talk the alpha male lifestyle, including cigars, libations, technology, grilling, politics, and more. 
Search Bold Alpha anywhere you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. Avo Cigars has just launched the newest addition to the Avo Synchro series entitled the Avo Synchro Caribe. Fourth line in the Avo Synchro series, it is centered around the concept of tobacco synchronization. They incorporate the diversity, complexity, and compatibility of cigar tobaccos from the Caribbean and Central America to create a natural harmony, a Caribbean soul, a very dynamic cigar. It uses natural distribution. What does that mean? The proportions of the cigar tobaccos on any given plant perfectly matched in the blending process. So what you get is a Dominican wrapper. You get filler tobaccos from Nicaragua, a binder from Ecuador that are matched absolutely perfectly. The taste, a lively, dynamic, harmonious flavor profile of Caribbean flavors, aromatic spices, some complex cocoa, a beautiful medium-bodied cigar with subtle sweetness resembling tropical fruits. The flavors, rhythm, and lifestyle of the tropics are encapsulated in the new Avo Synchro Caribe, available now at your cigar retailer or DavidoffGeneva.com. For our Cigar Masters series, we welcome Steve Abbott, Senior Brand Manager of General Cigar, who oversees the Macanudo La Gloria Cubana portfolio of cigars. And this is the first of our two-part series. First part airs this week. Second part will air next week. We welcome you to our Cigar Masters series here on the Cigar Dave Show. Very big pleasure to welcome Steve Abbott, the Senior Brand Manager at General Cigar, who oversees two outstanding brands, well-known brands, Macanudo, which has been around for ages, and La Gloria Cubana, known as the original boutique cigar. Steve joins us from his headquarters in Richmond. Great to have you with us, Steve. Dave, it's a pleasure to be with you. Now, I know that you are cigar-friendly at General Cigar Headquarters. So the question is, now I've lit up the La Gloria Cubana Medio Tiempo, which we'll talk about uh, very soon, but you've got an entire assortment of everything in the General Cigar portfolio. So what have you lit up today? I am smoking the brand-new La Gloria Cubana Criollo de Oro that uh, just launched this month in October. Mm. Steve, we have a problem. How come I don't have any Criollo de Oros? Dave, we've got to solve that. <laughs> I got to get you uh, I got to get you the box and, and very quickly. <laughs> Listen, I've got connections in general down here. I know Rick Rodriguez, the brand manager for, uh, or not brand manager, but the brand ambassador blender for CAO. And he has an ability to get me whatever I need from general. And I know where to find Rick, but uh, no, that's a great cigar that I want to talk about because I know you've spoken very highly about the Criollo Dior. Before we get into specific cigars and blends and the the entire overall Macanudo and La Gloria Cubana universe. Let's talk about you for, for a few minutes. Where are you from originally and uh, your background? How did you get involved in the cigar business? Yeah, Dave, as, as you mentioned, uh, the headquarters here for General Cigar is in Richmond, Virginia. So uh, I am uh, a Virginia native, grew up here uh, right outside of D.C. and um, you know, frankly, stumbled into the cigar business. It, uh, 
I, I worked for Heinz, the catch-up company, and Fruit of the Loom, the underwear company, and and so I don't somehow that got me into the cigar business. So uh, here I am, and uh, just enjoying every minute of of being in this great, great uh, industry. Ketchup to underwear, now to cigars. Nobody could have predicted that path, I guarantee you. It certainly wasn't uh, the one that the career counselors laid out for me, you know, when I was looking for that ultimate career path. But, uh, you know, all the stuff that I've done uh, has really helped me in the uh, cigar business. And it's just... uh, you know, it's just a pleasure to be in such a great industry that, uh, you know, there's a family-oriented uh, business or family-oriented aspect to it. There is, um, you know, just a, a, people love it, and, and there's such a passion and enthusiasm for, for it that uh, you, you do, certainly don't get in underwear and you don't get in the ketchup industry. Now, I love ketchup. I'm a huge ketchup fan. I put ketchup on my burgers. I use ketchup with steaks occasionally, ketchup on my Salem's hot dogs for sure. But there's only so much ketchup, and there's only so much enthusiasm for ketchup. But with cigars, it's just such a passionate industry. Not only the consumers, but the manufacturers, the blenders, everybody involved with it. It is certainly an interesting community. So tell us how, how you got from ketchup to Fruit of the Loom, to Cigars, how that all came about. Yeah, so I was working in Richmond, Virginia uh, at Swedish Match. So some of your, your listeners may uh, know that company. They make General Snooze. So it's it's obviously a Swedish company. Uh, and uh, General Snooze is a smokeless tobacco that uh, is actually in a, a lot of... Um, a lot of tobacconists uh, across the country. And so I was working on that. And um, the guys from that, the, you know, General Cigar was part of Swedish Match at one point. And so the guys would come in that worked on the cigar business and put cigars in the lunchroom that they, uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't, they were given out to people. And, and that really caught my fancy. And, um, Sure enough, it didn't take me long to get uh, a little desktop humidor and uh, bring it home and uh, start loading that thing up with these cigars from the uh, lunchroom. And uh, I kind of, uh, you know, just found it was fascinating. Industry loved smoking cigars. And um, when there was an opportunity to, to kind of jump ship from Swedish matching into general cigar, I, I, uh, immediately took that, that, that opportunity. And it's been about eight years now, and I've been loving it ever since. You realize how many people are listening right now that say, I wish they laid out premium cigars at my cafeteria or my lunchroom where I work. Major jealousy going on right now, Steve. I don't doubt that. I, I was fascinated when uh, when when I first, you know, walked in there and and that that happened so uh yeah it's it's great i get to smoke you know as part of my job uh, i get to smoke a lot of cigars and in fact right behind me i have probably about 50 different cigars that i need to smoke between now and and, in the next two weeks so somehow my palate's going to make it through but uh you know 
it's 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 one of the, uh, the 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 benefits of the job, I guess. Well, you're you're taking one for the team. You're taking one for the general cigar team by <laughs> sampling fifty fantastic cigars. So you cannot go wrong. Hey, if there's still any Partagas one fifties you have to sample, and you need some help smoking and sampling those let me know those were fantastic cigars well before your time at general but i will guarantee there's probably uh, some still stocked in the humidor somewhere at general cigar there's a few that turn up every once in a while for definitely special uh, occasions so uh certainly that was a that is a great cigar and i and i do enjoy that uh, very, very infrequently, but uh, do love that Particus 150. Definitely a special occasion cigar. So you go from working Swedish Match, you were on the snooze end of things, and then how do you get over to the premium side? Yeah, there was, an, you know, I knew a lot of the people there, and uh, it was really an easy transition. There was an opportunity open. I went and talked to them, and... Um, Sure enough, uh, you know, I, I got the position and have been working on um, different brands within the general uh, cigar portfolio. As you know, it's, it's quite extensive. And so there's a lot of different uh, um, areas that you can work on. And um, I've been mostly responsible for brands that come out of our Dominican Republic factory. We have three factories one in, as you know, Dominican Republic, one in Honduras, and one in Nicaragua. And um, uh, most of my brands are made in uh, Dominican Republic, but uh, there, there's certainly some blends that come out of those other two factories. And it's, it's great to go down and visit all of them, in fact. Well, I've had the opportunity to visit the General Cigar Factory in Santiago many times. Fabulous facility, incredible cigars, uh, and I've gone out to some of the farms that General Cigar uh, owns down in the Dominican, and I'll never forget, we went with a group. At the time, it was Edgar Coleman Jr., who was the president of General Cigar, and Daniel Nunez, who was the factory manager at the time, and they said, tomorrow we are going to leave the hotel at 4.30 a.m. We've got a special surprise. And I'm thinking, 4.30 a.m.? i got to get up at 3.30, 3.45 for what? They said, we're going to have breakfast in the tobacco fields as the sun rises. Now, I've seen sunrises before, and I said, oh, okay. Still wasn't thrilled about getting up at 3.45 in the morning. But when we got there, they had a beautiful spread set up for us. There's a group of about 10 of us. Breakfast with cigars, the sun rises overlooking this valley, absolutely incredible. It was worth every ounce of getting up at the ungodly hour of 3.30 in the morning, uh, and just very special, and to watch that sunrise and see the tobacco plants start to glisten as the sun shines on them, and smoking cigars that originated in that same farm, absolutely amazing. So there is no question, General Cigars Factories, in all three countries are incredible, but your main factory in the Dominican Republic is exceptional. And I don't think anybody can really appreciate it until you actually visit it. What was your impression the first time you went down to General Cigar Dominicana? Yeah, wow. It's, well, first off, that's an amazing story, Dave. And I am going to ask for breakfast in the fields the next time I'm down there. Uh, Got to do sure. it. It's worth it. Definitely yeah. worth it. Uh, 
you know, the, uh, Santiago is is an amazing place, as as you know. It's full it's full of energy and and excitement. And so, you know, you get off the plane and you're you're driving in a taxi to get there. And um, you know, I I, I uh, wow, bless the people who who have to drive down there because it is a squirrely uh, oh, yeah. trip. Uh, and uh, you know, n- not a lot. I, I'm not sure they they. Not a lot of people are obeying, obeying the traffic laws, or they have very <laughs> loose traffic laws down there. But uh, anyways, um, getting to the factory, you really feel the energy, and uh, it's just amazing to see how many cigars and how many people are involved in the process of making cigars, um, you know, uh, all the way through from the processing of the tobacco to the sorting of it to the to the rolling, uh, you know, bunching, rolling, packaging. Uh, so it's, it's quite an amazing operation for sure. Yeah, absolutely incredible. No, no doubt about it. So what was your first position you held at General Cigar when you were hired in the premium division? Yeah, I did. Um, I was in charge of uh, Cohiba, or Cohiba, the you know, General Cigar Cohiba, as well as Ligoria Cubana. And um, I worked a little bit on the Dunhill brand. Uh, you may remember that. Um, remember it well. Uh, brand. They're not in the cigar business, unfortunately, anymore. They had some beautiful cigars. They did. They really uh, but, did. Uh, but, yeah. So, uh, and, and then uh, Partagas as well. So, um, uh, so you had a, a pretty, of, you had an extensive portfolio. There. I mean, Cohiba, which is the top of the line, La Gloria, the, the original boutique manufacturer, and Partagas, which tremendously historic brand, uh, and then also Dunhill, which unfortunately kind of went by the wayside. So you started working on those, and then you transitioned to just overseeing now La Gloria and Macanudo, and Macanudo certainly still the flagship of the General Cigar lineup. Yes, correct. Macanudo is our biggest brand in the general cigar portfolio, uh, and so carries a lot of you know, responsibility. And, and there's just a lot going on on that brand. As you know, we've done a lot in the last few years to um, to really, I think, bring new smoking experiences to uh, to cigar lovers. Yeah, and when you you know what's interesting, Steve, is that you look at some of these brands, like for example, Macanudo. I remember way back, almost even as a kid, seeing Macanudo at almost every nice restaurant or every hotel bar or country club pro shop or the country club bars. That was the first cigar to really have what I say is, is mass market penetration. It's a premium cigar, but you would see it everywhere because back in those days, you could smoke cigars inside, and nobody did it better than General Cigar at the time, and Macanudo was really, when, when you mentioned you want a premium cigar, there was one name that always came out, and that was Macanudo. So it's incredible that history, and even still today, with all the changes and people changing their smoking habits, wanting fuller-flavored cigars, that your Macanudo is still the flagship lineup of of General Cigar and still your primary, the number one seller. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a real testament to I think the quality and consistency of that Connecticut Shade uh, wrapper that we use in in you know cafe the cafe blend, as well as some of the work that we've done 
to introduce new things, uh, new lines like the Inspirato line that really focuses a lot on, you know, interesting tobacco stories and processes that, uh, that uh, you know, are, are, are new and different, as well as um, most recently the M line, which, you know, is our infused line of cigars. Right. Where, and that's, that's interesting too, where, where it's, it's, uh, it, it really kind of combined, M is fascinating to me because it combines the, uh, you know, tobacco flavor with, with a kind of a hint of infusion. So um, it's really reached a lot of people that uh, never thought they'd smoke uh, an infused or a flavored cigar. Uh, so that, that's that's encouraging. So any, anyways, it's it's just brought the brand to a whole uh, new audience, and um, it's great to it's great to hear that, and great to hear the stories. Steve, when you sit down with your team, we're now in November, twenty twenty one. I would assume you're already looking well into twenty twenty two, maybe even twenty twenty three. So take us through the process when you're sitting down with your team the strategic process of deciding how you want to come up with a new line extension or a new brand or a new blend. What goes through that? Tell us from start to finish how that all works. Well, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a long process. I mean, it, you, you know, we often forget uh, on, on that, uh, you, you have to grow the tobacco, you have to ferment it. You, you know, sometimes you have to get it up and, and bulk it up and, and age it for, you know, years sometimes so you do have to think uh you know far far in advance but um the you know, the process for for us is really you know trying to listen to what people want and uh a lot of that is talking to our uh salespeople and you know they're in the stores every day they're you know sometimes they're sitting in the lounges they're talking with the store owners um, we also, you know, listen to people on social media. What are they talking about? What are they posting? What are they liking? Right. And um, and then, you know, what are the trends? What are we? What are we? What are the farmers bringing back? What are they? What are they looking at? And and uh, you know, what kind of new uh, techniques? Whether it's um, growing or or processing the tobaccos that that's out there that we can. Uh, use and um, bring together in a uh, an interesting way that uh, ultimately gives some some somebody uh, you know a new pleasurable smoking experience. I mean, that's that's what it's all about is 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 giving the, those great blends and those great cigars to um, to to all of us that love smoking them. So, how, what is the timeline roughly when you look from the time that you say, look, we're getting a lot of feedback. People want let's say hypothetically, a medium-bodied cigar, and we've got this excellent wrapper that we have available to us that has been aging for several years. We want to start working on some blends. From the time you start that until the time that you have the blends, you have the packaging, you create the name, till the brand is on the shelves, how long of a timetable is that? It's about a 10 or 11 month process. So if we have all the tobacco, we don't have to grow that. If, you know, we have, we have pretty big uh, supplies. If, when, I don't know if you've got a chance to uh, tour some of the tobacco aging facilities, but oh, uh, huge. There, there's, a, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, stacks and stacks of these big bulks of tobacco where they, 
they put them in, uh, they bulk them up and put them in uh, burlap sacks, and then uh, they're on these big shelves. So it's it's quite impressive. But um, if we have the tobacco, and uh, we are we are about a 10 to 11 month process out um, to kind of get everything in line and make sure we've got it right, uh, so that when we're we're ultimately when you when you get it in the store and, and, and you see it on the shelf, um, you know, it's, it's the right product and we've gone through the right aging. We've gone through the right, uh, you know, all the steps to make sure that the quality is there and, and we're delivering what we need to deliver. The blending in many cases is the easy part. You know what you're looking for. You may try 10, 20, 30 blends, then you get it right. But the name coming up with that brand name, coming up with the logo, coming up with the design, do you work on that internally? Do you work with external companies? Tell us that process. Well, we have um, a group internally. Uh, we have some designers that uh, we work with, and we also have uh, agencies that are, that are out, outside agencies. And so it just really depends on the project. Uh, but we are, um, you know, we work, a lot of my job is working with, uh, you know, creatives to, to to design, whether it's the box, the band, um, the communication in the stores, uh, you know, the signs that we all see, uh, even even some of the stuff in the lounges, like the you know the neon lights and the the tin signs and a lot of the fun stuff that uh, eventually ends up in 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 the man cave uh, down in the in the basement sometimes or wherever that man cave may be, but um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun because you know. I've got a, a little bit of creativity in me, but uh, I don't have that, uh, you know, I can't design anything. So it's fun to watch our designers take, you know, take the idea and, and say, you know, hey, we want we want it to kind of feel like this or we want it to, to be like this, but it has to be different than everything else on the marketplace and uh, and see what they come up with. And um, a lot of times it's it's really uh, it's really pretty wonderful to see that that does that new creation come to life i would assume projecting potential sales levels demand levels is part of your job description as a senior brand manager would that be correct that's correct yeah that's correct and it's now, it's one of the harder things to do i was going to say because i know that you've had some big hits that have been released in the last few years where you've sold out pretty quickly where you think this is what we're probably going to sell. This will be the demand, and you blow right through it. And everybody says, oh, that's a great problem to have. Well, it is, and it isn't. Because as you said, it's not easy. It's not like being in the ketchup business where you say, hey, we need more ketchup. So look, you got to grow more tomatoes. What does that take? Maybe two, three weeks to grow the tomatoes. You don't have to worry about aging them for two years. You get the tomatoes, you process them, boom, you can make more ketchup. You can't do that in the cigar industry. You can't do that with cigars because everything you grow... If you have, for example, a certain amount of inventory and you project that out, say that we're going to need this amount every year for the next two, three years, you can't just go and raid the following year because you'll have problems down the road. So when you do get into those situations where you kind of sell out, how does the team react to that? How do you all get together? Is there some formula you look and say, well, we'll we, we, we miscalculated on this or we didn't realize how popular this would be or is it just one of those type of things where you can't really project it you don't know until you release it to retailers and the public and you see what the demand is and, and the, re the reaction from the consumer 
Yeah, it's a great question, Dave. And you know, we, you know, I think we are, we are good at that, and we're continuing, continuing and try to to get better. But uh, certainly, it is challenging. And um, the great thing about working at a company like General Cigars, we have a vast uh, inventory of tobacco. Uh, we have multiple factories, and we have a lot of those resources where we we actually can. Uh, react, I you know, I'd argue pretty well to ch changes. So um, certainly, when you launch a new product, there's always that level of um, you know, is it is it going to be how big is it going to be, um, and how popular of a cigar are you going to have on your hands? And sometimes you're right, it sells out. I mean, we we're, we run into that uh, problem before, and I think you know nowadays with this, uh, you know, our, arguably this mini cigar boom that we're going through now, um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are experiencing, you know, some some uh, outages on the store shelf where, uh, you know, their favorite brand might not might not be there uh, because uh, of, you know, just this whole, you know, global kind of um, supply chain uh, squeeze, you know, that was initially started by, the, you know, the COVID incident. If people never heard the term supply chain before, they certainly are very familiar with it over the last couple of weeks because everybody's been talking, the news, the president, everybody, politicians talking about supply chain that affects everything because you think about it, you make a cigar, that's great, but then you have to have the band, you have to have the cellophane, you have to have the box, you have to have the printed materials that go on the box. There's just so many different factors that go in how has that affected General Cigar, or has it affected General Cigar over the last year, specifically the last six months? Oh, yeah, sure. It's definitely affected, I think, everybody in the industry. And, um, you know, we've been, we've been pretty lucky. We haven't had major issues, uh, but certainly it's increased our, our, our lead time. So the, the, the length of time it's been able, we've been able to get cigars um, out to the stores it's uh, you know it's it's places where you know people who print our bands uh, you know they only have so much capacity so it um, it has is lengthened I think our the time it takes us to you know develop a cigar and get it out to, to everybody um, and um, you know we're, we're we're working through that and I think it's it's starting to ease up some uh, but. Uh, you know, it, it definitely is, is something that we take into consideration when we're, um, you know, we're trying to do our planning. Steve, when did you first notice the increase in demand uh, over the last, you know, year and a quarter when this mini cigar boom took place? Yeah, I, I think we started to, obviously the store shut down, right? When I think it was, was it March when, you know, really yeah. the country basically shut down. Yeah, March um, 2020. And uh, obviously, you know, we were, we were concerned for all of our, 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 our stores out there that buy our cigars. Um, but, but thankfully, every, you know, most were able to get through that. Um, but certainly sales were down there, and a lot of the sales, uh, we saw big spikes in the online catalog business as people were staying home and ordering the cigars. And then once uh, the summer 
started to come around uh, and stores started to open up and, and, and things were getting a little bit more back to normal uh, that that uh, we started to you know not only were the stores doing well but also the online catalog business was doing well and so we've really um, it's been um, you know it's really been the last year or so that we've just seen that 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 increase and again, it's it's people whether it's people buying a little bit more. You know, you may may have only bought one cigar a week, and maybe you've got the opportunity now to smoke, you know, three or two or or whatever right. it is. Uh, it, uh, I mean, it's great. I'm glad people are able to enjoy. It's obviously what uh, what is what is a troubling time uh, with uh, you know a great cigar. So I mean, I'm thankful for that part. Um, but certainly it's it's been uh, as as everyone knows it's been uh, a crazy couple of years here and um, and uh, it's just good to good to good to know that um, you know if you if you're gonna go through this that you've got your cigars in hand has that aff- clearly it must have affected your planning for 2022 how, how have you adjusted to that I mean we're we've had to um, you know, revise our um, new product launch timing so that uh, things, you know, that maybe we decided we're going to, you know, introduce to stores. And this time we had to delay that because, frankly, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, either either it wasn't going to be ready or, um, you know, we had to back something up because there was a few launches that we, you know, during the, uh, you know, right after that, what was it, 2000, March 2000, um, we, there was a few launches that we had in that, you know, March, April, May, June timeframe that, that we pushed uh, to later because it just didn't make sense to uh, bring out a new cigar at that time. And so, you know, that kind of has a domino effect. And so we've, we've had to move um, some of our, our new, new products uh, around a little bit. And uh, certainly that's adjusted our planning. Have you, I'm sure you've received calls from retailers saying we need more. Is there any one specific type of strength level that's moving better than others over the last years? For example, mild, medium, full, or is it just all across the board? Yeah, from from our perspective, it's really all across the board. So there's no, uh, you know, one, one trend there. One other thing I, I want to bring up, because when you take a look at the cigar industry as a whole, when you look at consumers across the country, the I believe the number one requested strength of a cigar is probably in the mild to medium or medium category. Would you concur with that? Yes, I, that's typically what we see. So when you are looking at cigars to come out with next year or, say, the year after, do you say, look, we know that ballpark, let's just say the majority of cigar smokers like a mild, a medium, or medium, so we want to come out with a medium. But we know there's also a group of people that like a full-flavored cigar, but it may not be as much. Do you kind of tailor your uh, launching brands to the strength profiles? I know you said that you do talk to sales reps and retailers and you get consumer from social media and so on. But do you kind of look and say, look, we know this is the majority. This is where we need to go after. 
Well, I, n not really. I think we certainly we certainly look at the the profile of the cigars. I think the way we work at General Cigars, we look at it at a brand level, and um, and then look at you know how, what is that brand um, what is that brand offering now, and where are maybe some gaps in that brand's offerings that people really would you know would like to see and so whether it's a macanudo whether it's a logoria cabana or a partagus um you know what 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 do we think would you know help to strengthen the brand and um give give uh you know cigar smokers uh you know a blend that really is is complementary to what everything else we've got going on so you know so for instance macanudo we've got cafe we've got a nice uh you know mild blend in that in that in that uh in that offering and so to do another mild offering that that isn't different or isn't complementary to that um wouldn't really make sense right and so, so therefore we yeah, when you take a look at Macanudo, how it has evolved with the Inspirado line, where definitely more rich flavors in, in that line. Uh, you look at um, some of the other line extensions of Macanudo, whether it is the Cru Royale, you've really complemented the initial line, the, the cafe line, with a number of strengths around it. So there's something for everybody in the Macanudo portfolio. Right, right. And, you know, if there's also the opportunity, if we stumble upon a tobacco that's interesting or a blend combination um, that maybe doesn't make sense to have, you know, full time, but it, it's a great, like, limited offering, such as um, this earlier this year, I think in the May time frame, we had, uh, we offered um, Macanudo Inspirata Brazilian Shade that used a Brazilian Shade uh, you know, basically like a Connecticut shade, uh, but it was grown in Brazil. And uh, that was a really unique cigar. It brought something different to the table. And, you know, it, it may or may not, you know, make sense in our portfolio full time, but it's, it's, you know, it brings excitement to the brand. People get to smoke something new and, uh, you know, it's a, a different twist on uh, what we've got out there right now. Well, interesting you mentioned that because when I received the samples of the Macanudo Brazilian Shade, I smoked one, lit it up. I was just blown away. The flavors from that Brazilian Shade wrapper were incredible. And I called you pretty quickly after that and said, this thing is an absolute home run. This is an incredible cigar. And that's a cigar that I think sometimes it's new, but it sometimes gets lost in the whole portfolio because you do have so many outstanding cigars uh, that you've launched in the Macanudo lineup. I remember that phone call, and I appreciated that because, you know, you you obviously, there's a lot of cigars that cross your plate. And uh, so to get those kind of phone calls from you, Dave, is, is really uh, something special. So I appreciated you reaching out. Well, it was such a unique taste, and I said, first I looked at it, I said, well, it's got to be probably Ecuadorian or Connecticut, but the taste on it was just so different and so unique, unlike the Connecticut Shade, which has sweetness to it, the Connecticut Ecuadorian, which has a little bit more flavor, but it just, first of all, the packaging looked great. I love the band, love the box, but the just the cigar itself, the taste 
just blew me away. How is that cigar doing, or is there supply issues with that cigar? Well, that one, we, we plan to do that one just as a limited edition. So we okay. only made a certain amount of boxes. That, I, you know, we may reconsider that uh, in the future, but um, that was an interesting cigar because it, uh, you know, not a lot of people used the Brazilian Connecticut shade. In fact, there was really only one other uh, cigar that I could find, one other company that used it on one, uh, like a small launch uh, a few months before that. And, um, and, it, and, and it's really because it's, it's a little more, you know, there's Connecticut shade out of Ecuador. And that's right. where most of, uh, right, the, uh, you know, if it's not out of Connecticut, it's either out of Honduras or um, uh, Ecuador. And so, you know, the question was, well, how come nobody's using this Brazilian uh, Connecticut shade? And um, the, the truth of it is it's, it's, it's a bit more expensive it's a bit thinner of a wrapper, so it's actually a little harder to work with. And, um, you know, it, but it brings a different profile to the cigar, like you mentioned. And um, it, uh, it, was, it was interesting to do. You know, we, we, we weren't sure how it was going to turn out uh, because, uh, again, it's something like that we don't typically use. Uh, but, um, you know, we got a lot of great response from it. And um, people loved it. They bought it up. And I don't, you know, if you can find it out there in the stores, I'd, I'd grab a uh, Grab everyone grab a you can. Yeah. Well, Steve, I, I vote. If I have a, a vote in the matter, I vote you come out with that yearly as a special edition cigar because that taste was so unique and so smooth with a creamy combination of some sweetness, some spice. It just was a very, the only way to describe it, it's a unique cigar. And I think that's a testament. You, everyone you, you, you released you sold went through it very quickly so i vote in the future steve if you have the capacity to make that on a yearly basis and get that brazilian shade get it and release it my favorite without a doubt and i think if you have not tried it any of our listeners our alphas our our lieutenants our connoisseurs that have not tried it if you can find it the macanudo inspirado brazilian shade you must absolutely pick one up. You will thank me, and then you will call and complain, saying, General, I love the cigar. Now I can't find it, and now I'm very perturbed. So it's kind of a good problem. It's a good and bad problem to have, Steve. But indeed, that cigar is phenomenal. Part one of our two-part Cigar Masters series featuring Steve Abbott, Senior Brand Manager of General Cigar, overseeing the Macanudo and La Gloria Cubana portfolios. Interesting learning about Steve's background, how he got into the cigar business and hooked up with General Cigar Part 2 next week. Don't forget, make sure you hit the subscribe button for the Cigar Dave Show and our brother, Bold Alpha Podcast. Cigar Dave the General, saying Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the socialists. Save America, hashtag Red Wave, and tomorrow, may my Buffalo Bills wallop the Jacksonville Jaguars. Go Bills, hashtag Bills Mafia.